Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. If you remember last week, we were looking at... uh, where Jesus was talking about the final judgment. And the Son of Man was coming, will come one day with all His holy angels. And it said last week that that, uh, He is going to judge between the sheep and the goats. He is going to divide humanity into the righteous and the wicked. And Jesus, the Son of Man, will be the universal judge of all people. And he, he will send the righteous into eternal life with Him of ultimate joy forever. And He will send the wicked into an eternal hell prepared for the devil and his angels. And we see that great exalted picture of Jesus, the Son of Man, in the last passage. And what we're looking at today, Jesus now says that the Son of Man is going to die. These things don't go together very well, do they? But yet, they do. When we know the whole story. Because in order for Jesus to redeem us, He went to the cross. He died for our sins. And He rose again. And He now sits exalted at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the Father to send Him to come and get us. Let's go ahead and look at our text beginning in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 6. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, He said to His disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest whose name with Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head and reclined at, as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, whatever this gospel, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will, be, will also be told in memory of her. Then, one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, 
went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, give me strength this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand and obey what your word says to us. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to us. Lord, let these words not just be words on a page. But Lord, unite it with your Spirit as we hear your word. Take your surgeon's scalpel and use your word on us. It is able to divide between the bone and the marrow. It is able to divide between the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Lord, Lord, I pray that you would use your word this morning to do surgery on us. Lord, give me grace and strength this morning as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The text begins, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples. So Jesus had just been giving this Olivet Discourse where he had been talking about what would happen at the end times. It is coming right on the heels of that that Jesus changes course and he says that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. This doesn't seem to make sense. Jesus had just been talking about how the Son of Man is going to come with all of the angels and divide between the righteous and the wicked. It doesn't seem like now would be the time to just change gears and say the Son of Man is going to die, is going to be crucified, is going to be delivered over to the Gentiles to be crucified. Yet this was God's plan. The same term, Son of Man, that is used to talk about His coming in glory is also used here to talk about His crucifixion. Jesus came the first time in a state of humiliation. He came and He humbled Himself. He humbled Himself by becoming a baby, by living a human life, by experiencing all the things that we do in a human life. And He experienced His humiliation in suffering and dying upon a cross. But this Son of Man, who came to be crucified, will one day come again. And He will be the universal judge of all people. This is the fourth prediction that Jesus makes to His disciples that He will be crucified. And let's pay attention here. It says He will be delivered up. He will be betrayed. He will be handed over. 
to be crucified. Let's look at verse 3. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. The chief priests. They were the religious leaders. They were people who should have known the Scriptures. They were people who were involved in sacrifice. And the sacrifices of the Old Testament all pointed forward to the fact that the Lamb of God would one day be slain for you and me. But these priests and the elders of the people, instead of recognizing the Messiah, Jesus, the Anointed One, as who He was, they met together to plot to plot by stealth to try to kill Jesus. This, this is, I think, our connection to the Scripture reading that we had before. The term anointed one from Psalm 2 is that word Messiah. It's the, the same root. It is the, the word Messiah. Jesus was this anointed one. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And as they were plotting together to kill Jesus, the Christ, in the same way David wrote of the, the nations that raged and the people were plotting against the Lord and His anointed. And how did the Lord respond to this plotting to try to get the Lord's anointed, he sat in heaven and laughed. As the, the chief priests and the elders, they plotted to try to kill Jesus, and all of their plotting and scheming and whatever they were trying to do to try to get to Jesus, to kill Him, to get Him out of the way, the Lord just sat back and laughed. Because what Jesus was doing was all God's plan from the very beginning. Jesus was the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. This was God's plan and purpose as the book of Acts tells us as Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. These wicked men, they got together and they plotted and they schemed and they did everything they could to try to get Jesus. And all they could do was do what God had planned from the very beginning. And their scheming fell to nothing. And they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. They didn't want to do it during Passover. This was a holy time. And the people were all on Jesus' side. They saw how He had done miracles and they saw how He had healed the sick and the lame. And But these religious leaders, they didn't want to do something that was going to turn the crowds against them. We have a change of scenery here. First, we had Jesus 
talking to his disciples, saying he was going to be crucified. Now we come back here to uh, we come to um, the elders and the um, chief priests who are in the palace. But now we come back to Jesus. He's now at a house in Bethany. He's in the house of Simon the leper. And I want to linger here for just a moment. He's in the house of Simon the leper. Not in Simon Peter's house. He's in the house of Simon the leper. The one who no one could touch. Ceremonially unclean. Now, I think if Jesus was there in Simon's house, then most likely he had already been healed. Otherwise, the, us, the rest of the people there would have all been ceremonially unclean as well. But this was a leper. This was a man who he was so identified as a leper that that's what they called him. Simon the leper. Even after he'd been healed. And no one wanted to come around a leper. Yet Jesus came to his house. Do we want to be like Jesus? Again, I I, 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 uh, I sometimes uh, hesitate to do this. I mean, yes, Jesus is our example, but we're not saved by following an example. But yet He is our example, and we do follow in His steps, as 1 Peter tells us. We need to be the kind of people who will go where no one else is willing to go. While he's there at Simon the leper's house, a woman came up to him. Again, a woman came up to him. We can think of the story of the Samaritan woman who came to Jesus. and I think uh, not only was the fact that she was a Samaritan uh, taboo, but the fact that she was a woman. And here, a woman comes up to Jesus. We find a woman's place here in the Gospel story. They're included. Women are included in this story of redemption. Amen. She comes to Him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. This word here that is used for very expensive ointment, it's talking about myrrh. The term there, the Greek word that's there is myrrh. The same thing that they brought to Jesus, that the, the, uh, the wise men brought to Jesus. This was the kind of, of ointment or perfume that would be used to prepare a body for burial. That's what was being brought. And it's very expensive. One of the other Gospels commenting on this said that it was worth 300 denarii. Now a denarii is a day's wage. So if you take off the Sabbath, it's approximately a year's worth of work. And how much this perfume cost? Now just at minimum wage now, I'm not even sure what that would come to, but maybe we're talking here in today's terms, a year's wages at minimum wage may be, uh, what, maybe $20,000? 
That's some pretty expensive perfume. We're not talking to Chanel number five here. (laughs) That is some pretty expensive perfume. He brings, she brings this perfume to him and she poured it out on his head as he reclined at table. And we think of this as, as anointing. Um, now, King David was anointed by Samuel and oil was poured over his head, but this is not that kind of anointing. It wasn't an anointing for king. Jesus tells us here, it's not a, a, an anointing as the king, it's an anointing for burial. The way that you would care for a body to embalm or preserve it when you bury it. This is not talking about something majestic. This is talking about something that was done to care for his body as he was approaching the cross. Culturally, uh, we, we can also know about this, uh, that this ointment, this uh, oil, this perfume would have been held in a, in a flask that the only way to open it would be to break the top off. So once you open it, it has to be used. Not going to be preserved for later. It's time to use it once you open it. So she brings this and she anoints his head. She pours it on his head as he lies there at the table, reclines at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? Do we ever get that attitude about worship? What a waste. There's a book that, was, that came out in the early 2000s called, uh, it was on worship, A Royal Waste of Time. <laughs> we all come together and we sing and we, we read Scripture and to the, out, for, to the outside world looking in, what we do here on a Sunday morning must seem like a waste of time. But it's not a waste of time. We come here to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What we are doing when we gather together to worship the King of kings is more significant than anything we do all week long. We are here to show our love and our worship for the one who came and died in our place. It is not a waste of time. The disciples, they, they saw how this woman poured this expensive, and I talked about how expensive it is, a year's wages. This woman wasted this expensive perfume by pouring it on Jesus' head in the disciples' eyes. But Jesus responded, Why do you trouble this woman? Um, let me back up. It, when, they, when they said that, they, that it was a waste, they said this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. 
We think about the disciples' motivations. Now, um, the Gospel of John tells us that Judas was pointing this out. This could have been sold and given to the poor. But Judas really didn't mean it. He was just thinking about it because he was the treasurer and he wanted to take from it for his own good. But our text here today doesn't point that out about Judas. It's attributing it to all of the disciples. They all had the same attitude. This could have been given to the poor. I don't want to attribute the same motives that Judas had to the rest of the disciples. They recognized something true. Jesus, has so much of His ministry was caring for the poor and the needy. Healing the sick and And they would have naturally thought you could have done something so much more valuable with that. But Jesus realizes what they're thinking and responds, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. I want to treat this carefully. Jesus here says, we'll always have the poor with us. And and he contrasts that with, you will not always have me. We're talking about his physical presence with them. His physical presence, they, they would not always have his body there with them. Today, Some might look at this passage that says you always have the poor with you and use it as an excuse not to care for the poor. That's not the intention here. This is not uh, some kind of an excuse that we can point to and say, well, we don't really have to take care of the poor because the poor is always going to be with us. No. Neither should we get the attitude that we, we can somehow eliminate poverty in our day. Uh, I I think uh, the fact is that there will be poverty until Jesus returns. Uh, When He returns, He will put all of His enemies under His feet then and set all things right. As long as we are still under the curse of the fall, we will still have poverty. So I don't want us to abuse this text and somehow use it as an excuse not to take care of the poor. But at the same time, that wasn't Jesus' intention here. He was saying, the poor will always be here. And you'll be able to help a lot of poor people after I'm gone. But right now, we're two two days before I go to the cross. I'm with you now. It's a good thing, a beautiful thing, that she was able to take this and prepare it, prepare my body for burial. And then Jesus makes this promise. Wherever the gospel is preached, the story of what this woman did would be told as a memorial to her. Amen. You know what? What Jesus said there is true. Because I'm preaching it right now. (laughs) We've got it in three of the Gospels at least. And possibly four. 
I say possibly four because there's a different location that we see it in, not up in the weeks leading up to the crucifixion in Luke, that there's a very similar story but has some differences. So we're not sure if that's the same one. But everywhere the gospel is preached, wherever we have Matthew, Mark, and John, at least, this woman is told about because of her care for Jesus in these days leading up to the crucifixion. We have a scene change again. Then, one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? Same word that was used above. Jesus said, The Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Judas says, What will you give me if I deliver him up to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. I don't think this 30 pieces of silver is supposed to be some outstanding huge amount. It's the opposite. For a measly 30 pieces of silver, Judas betrayed his Lord. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Something I didn't say at the very beginning, but something that characterizes the text we're looking at today is it has a structure like a sandwich. In the beginning, we have this focus on the fact that Jesus is going to the cross and, and uh, the, the chief priests are trying to plot to get him to, to, to have him delivered over to be crucified. And at the end, we have the other slice of bread. We have Judas going to the chief priests, ready to turn him over. So from the ending, from the beginning to the ending of the text, we have these brackets that, that are, are telling us Jesus is about to be turned over to be crucified. The world hates him. The world wants to get rid of Jesus. Even his own disciple, Judas, is going to betray him. Yet in the middle there, between the brackets, it's talking about him being delivered over and the religious leaders plotting, and Judas, between those, we have this beautiful story of the woman who came to anoint Jesus to prepare his body for burial. What a contrast we have. We have even one of Jesus' own disciples, the religious leaders, hating and plotting against Jesus. While a woman came to Jesus with an extravagant amount of love. To, to break open this alabaster flask full of perfume and anoint Jesus. See the contrast we have here? Our orientation towards Jesus has no middle ground. 
but can only be one or the other. Are we like the woman who worships Jesus? Are we like the woman who gives our all to Jesus because He is coming to die for us? Or are we like the religious leaders and Judas? We're here, so I'm assuming that most of us in here are with the woman. That every time we sin, every time we give in to temptation, we still struggle with that internal indwelling sin. Do we betray our Lord? His own disciple, like Judas. Do we betray our Lord every time we sin? See the contrast here. I want to close with this. There is nothing that we can do that can separate us from the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. No height, nor depth, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of Christ. While we might be unfaithful, while we might betray Him with our actions, He remains faithful. I walk a tightrope this morning. I walk a tightrope because I see how in this we, 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 we see almost a legalistic temptation of trying to somehow earn our salvation by being like the woman. But again, just like I said last week, it's about the change that Jesus makes in our heart first. He changes us to be the kind of people who will love Him and love the brethren and worship Him when it looks like a waste to those on the outside. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.